Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Welcome back, everybody. It is our Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. As always, it's Ian Mendes and Sean McAdoo with you ahead of this podcast. Uh, we'll try and figure out what Chicago owner Rocky Words was thinking uh, after his uh, abrasive and terse response to some questions went viral during a town hall meeting a Wednesday night. The All-Star break is here. We'll set you up for the weekend in Vegas with a couple of storylines. We'll also touch on Sean's latest piece, uh, piece that dropped Earlier on Thursday, ranking every team's retired jerseys in the NHL. We'll answer a voicemail from a concerned Islanders fan. And uh, we'll look back at this week in hockey history and uh, how we've seen some kind of uh, surprising offensive nights from totally rando players on the same day. So we'll get to all of that and more. And I'll be honest with you, Sean. I had kind of uh, you know looked at, at setting up the show on Wednesday afternoon and I kind of plugged some things into our outline i'm like ah, you know we could talk about this and i was like boy this feels like it might be a little bit of a a little bit of a filler show and a little bit light and then chicago has a town hall meeting last night and i'll be honest with you i couldn't believe when i saw and we'll play the audio here in a second i couldn't believe when that was shared on my timeline what rocky words was saying i was like man we got ourselves probably the content for an entire show if we wanted to. We won't spend the whole show on this, but my goodness gracious, this is one of the most ill-conceived, poorly in poor taste responses that I have ever seen from an executive in sports, and that's saying something. It really is. I I would agree with you. It was was literally unbelievable. Uh, And my experience was I was uh, actually recording something else last night as this went down, so I, I didn't really see it in real time. I just quickly saw something go across my feed that indicated that uh, something had gone bad at this town hall. And that didn't shock me. I mean, we we had <laughs> known in advance that this was happening and that this was the first time really that uh, the, this, this level uh, of the Hawks organization had 
uh, spoken publicly. We knew the topic was going to come up. So it didn't shock me that that maybe some of the answers hadn't been well received. And then I saw, next, I saw the transcript. Mark published the, the transcript to his exchange with Rocky Words, and I was blown away. I thought, this is, this is awful. And I thought, it can't possibly have been as bad as it seems from reading the transcript. And then I saw the video clip. And my, I, like, I, I literally gasped when, that, when I saw how that played out. Uh, it was, it was unbelievable. I, I quite literally could not believe what I was hearing. And so for the the benefit of our listeners uh, on this uh, Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, in case you haven't heard it, we're going to play for you a a pair of clips uh, from the town hall meeting on Wednesday night. Uh, We'll we'll just play these back to back. Uh, There's no need to really break them up, but I think to play them back to back gives you a good idea, the listeners of of kind of the tone. Uh, The first question you're going to hear is from our uh, colleague, Mark Lazarus, who covers uh, Chicago for The Athletic, does a wonderful job. And you're going to hear his question. And then you're going to hear Phil Thompson, Philip Thompson, who covers Chicago sports for the Tribune. And these are back to back questions that are met with the same level of I guess, terseness and uh, uh, anger from Rocky Words. I think much of what happened to Kyle Beach stemmed from a, a power imbalance between a coach and a player and the powerlessness of a player in that situation. So what are the Blackhawks doing? What have the Blackhawks done? What will the Blackhawks do to empower a player in a similar situation to make sure that doesn't happen again? I'm going to answer the question at okay. the end. I think the report speaks for itself. The people that were involved are no longer here. We're not looking back at 2010. We're looking forward. And we're not going to talk about 2010. I'm we're, not talking about I, I know, and I'm not either. And we're not going to talk about what happened. We're moving forward. That is my answer. Now, what's your next question? I can pick up to what we are doing today. And I think no, I don't know. That's none of your business. That's none of your business. What we're going to do today is our business. I don't think it's any of your business. Because I don't think it's in your business. You don't work for the company. If someone in the company asks that question, we'll answer it. And I think you should get on to the next subject. We're not going to talk about Kyle Beach. We're not going to talk about anything that happened. Now we're moving on. What more do I have to say? You want to keep asking the same question? You hear the same answer? Okay, ask the next question. A little mystified here because uh, during the general and block briefing, uh, you guys talked about a change in culture and transparency and demonstrating the, the, the new culture and values um, that are going to protect players and protect the organization uh, in the future. And it seems like the, the second that we asked a question about that, um, it, it, it's met with resistance. So I'm going to ask it again. I answered it. No, I don't. I, I answered it. And I told you to get off the subject. You didn't I'm not gonna, you we're not going to bring up the report. No, you I'm read not, it. We're not and, asking and, about the report. We're I know, asking you're about, talking about what the, what the what report the new... was talking about, and I told you we're, we're moving on. Now, we're I don't like this. I, I think you're out of line to ask this line future. of questions. Why don't you ask about something else? Why don't you ask about the GM okay, search? I will ask Why don't you about, do something else? Okay, I Why will do you ask bring about old, old business? Some of the, some of the uh, season ticket holders that I've talked to said that um, they're having trouble maintaining value on their resale because you know, a lot of people. Is that paying, a fact? Are you, are you, I, I didn't I realize my... you're in our ticket part department. Okay. Well, what I'm on. saying is. Well, come on. Could, Let's if, talk about all the negative stuff. When I talk about your negative. paper and, how, people, and, what, and what the sports page looks like, should I do that? 
No, these are dedicated yeah, you can't fans. even get our elite scores? Whole... Rocky, can I finish my, my question? They say they want to uh, hold on because they value the Blackhawks, but they wanted to phrase some of the costs. You've seen that uh, the attendance has been dipping. Uh, I want to ask why you think it's dipping and what can they do to maintain their value so when they renew a package, uh, they can defray some of their costs. That's a fair question. Yes, it is. So Jamie can answer that. You know, Sean, when you listen to that, and you, again, you hear the anger in, in Rocky Wirtz's voice, you hear his uh, his son, Danny, tries to jump in and like, actually, Daddy is like, no, shut up, son. I I got this. And the one thing I always think about is, like you said earlier, they had to have known this was coming. This wasn't, you know, there's a great scene of Rick Westhead, TSN investigative reporter, uh, kind of getting Gary Bettman as Gary is like walking in a hallway somewhere and Rick kind of pops out and does your classic, uh, you know, not I, 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 I'm hesitant to use the term ambush journalism, but it's certainly, hey, it's not in a press conference and we're we're kind of surprising you, but we want to hold you accountable. And Rick did that to Gary and Gary was uh, infamously, um, uh, you know, uh, abrasive in his response. Like I would have expected that if Mark Lazarus and Phil Thompson jumped out from behind a pillar in the parking structure at the United Center, like, hey, man, what about this? I could understand that. This is in a press conference. How you how do you not know that this is coming? Mm -hmm. How did you not rehearse this? How did you not go through this? And to have that level of, of a response, uh, that, that level of anger and dismissiveness from Rocky Wirtz just leads us all down a terrible road. It, it is. I mean, they had time to prep for this uh, and not just, it wasn't just a press conference. This was an event that was planned for, for weeks. It, surely it came up. Uh, surely they, they discussed that uh, clearly this question was going to be asked. And I mean, I would, I would encourage you, if, if people just heard the clip for the first time, uh, I would encourage them to, to seek out the video clip because it's right. in, if, if possible, it's even worse. Because you see the, it, not just the anger from Rocky Words, but the, the frustration and annoyance that he's even you know somebody is sullying his pr event by asking him about the single biggest story uh, in years in in chicago sports and uh you're right there's rocky words who is the the chairman basically the owner of the blackhawks is the one that's speaking danny words is the is the voice that you hear attempt to jump in in that first clip and attempt to say, you know, I will answer the question. And then Rocky Words shuts him down. Danny Words is his son. Also, you know, yeah. high level in the in the Hawks organization. Um, and by the way, Danny Words is the one that the question was directed at. Right. That's who Mark asked the question of. And it was a, of it goes without saying, a completely fair question. Uh, Mark has said maybe even a little bit of a softball. I wouldn't agree with that. But certainly... It's one of those questions that opens the door for, for the person answering it to, to go in whatever direction they want. It wasn't a hostile question by any means. Um, and Rocky Words jumps in on a question he wasn't even asked and then shuts down his own son attempting right. to answer it. it. It was just completely disastrous. If, if the subject matter wasn't so important, it, it, would, it would feel like parody um, because... It's almost unimaginable that somebody could handle this 
as as poorly as they did. And then the follow up question, and by the way, full credit to Phil Thompson, because we've all been in the situation where yeah. a question is asked at a press conference or a media event and it gets a very hostile response and it takes some guts to stand up and say, I'm basically going to ask you the same question that you just didn't answer, knowing the response that the, that he was going to get. Uh, so credit to him as well. Like just a total disaster. And I don't know what happens now, because if this was a GM or even a team president, uh, I would have no problem saying that's a firing offense to be that to handle it that badly. Because as I said uh, on, on Twitter last night, I said any credibility that the league and the team have built up as far as their response to that. And I, I chose my words. I said any credibility. I didn't say all because I understand some people will say there's there's still no credibility, period. That's fine. But any that they have built up, if any, is gone now. It's completely gone because, you know, you're, you're sitting there saying, yeah, they put out all these nice statements about what they were going to do moving forward and how seriously they took it. But you're always wondering, okay, this is the nice PR statement. What are they saying behind the scenes? Well, I think we just got to look at it, how this is actually considered behind the scenes, at least from the very top of the organization. And if that's how it's felt at the very top, I don't know how you you permeate change down below that. If it was anyone else, I'd say this is a firing offense. This this person needs to, to be out of work. But it's the owner. So what do we do now? And I have no idea. Um I really don't know what or how you go forward. I know Mark has indicated that that uh, Danny Wirtz sort of followed up with him afterwards and, and said, you know, I do want to answer this question and we're going to answer the question. So the, the work of fixing this begins now. But I, I mean, I don't know how you fix it. I don't know how anyone, even the most loyal Blackhawks fan who might have said, hey, they've done the right things. There's new people involved. It's, you know, this, they're trying to fix this. I don't know how you have any faith at all in the organization now after what Rocky Wirtz just pulled, knowing full well, or he should have, how it was going to look and apparently just not caring. Yeah. And, and I think what's important too, Phil Thompson and, uh, and Mark Lazarus received a written apology from Rocky Wirtz last night that they then shared on social media. And I'm going to read this because I think this is this is important to read. Okay? This is important to read. This is a statement from Rocky Wirtz. It says, a personal statement from Chicago Blackhawks chairman Rocky Wirtz as follows. Tonight at the Chicago Blackhawks town hall, my response to two questions crossed the line. I want to apologize to the fans and those reporters. And I regret my response overshadowed the great work this organization is doing to move forward. We have the right leaders and right processes in place to create a safe environment for our employees and players. So he did issue a statement and he was like, yeah, my bad. And I, I, I didn't feel a lot of, it didn't feel genuine to me. It felt like a boilerplate. Uh, no, statement. of course not. I, you know? I, I, of, of course not. There's, there's zero, you put zero credibility into that statement other than if the team, and I'm saying the team released the statement because this clearly wasn't, you know, this isn't Rocky Wirtz saying, you know what, I screwed up. I'm going to sit down and type out a little statement here. This is the PR department running up to him saying, you have just thrown a barrel of gasoline on a fire that that we have spent the last few months barely containing, and you've just blown it up. We need to put something out. I mean, if they had put nothing out at all, we probably would have said that that's, that's even worse. But 
Um, no, you, you put no credibility in it. And look, uh, have they taken steps? I'm sure they have. Are they the right steps? I don't know because he wouldn't answer the question. And even in his statement, he still doesn't address what they're specifically doing. Um, so I don't know that whether most of that statement is true or false, except for one part where he says, we've got the right people, the right leadership. No, you don't. You Because you are the leadership and you clearly are not taking this right. seriously. You clearly view this as an annoyance, as a PR problem, uh, as something you you think should just go away. Um, and, uh, so no, they don't have the leadership in place because they have Rocky Wirtz in place. Uh, and he's, he's showing that he's, he's not the leader to, uh, to be involved in this in any way. I, I thought you would appreciate, uh, my suggested headline I threw out earlier today. Suggested headline for this story should have been from bad to Wirtz, right? Honestly, like you, you wouldn't think that you could make a situation. And I, I like your analogy of this thing was a fire that they had. I don't want to say they had contained it completely, but they had certainly, it felt like it was moving in the right direction and maybe it was down to some embers rather than a raging fire, but it's back. It's back and it's burning and it's because of your own, and um, it's everywhere. Your actions. Yeah. It's everywhere now, including, and again, I'll I'll give credit again, uh, TNT last night. Yeah. On their broadcast, went in on this hard, uh, as of course they should have. It's, this is the biggest story in hockey right now, but. I, I think we were all kind of looking at saying this is a new league partner. This is obviously a story that's disastrous for the league. Will they uh, will they handle it? Uh, will they touch on it? Will they talk about it at all? And they did. And they were very critical. Um, and that's, you know, again, just a testament to how boneheaded this was from Rocky Words. How dumb do you have to be to to say something so outlandish that even the league's brand new TV partner has to step up and say, this is awful. Yeah, you know, like whenever something like this happens, pe- because I'm kind of the the history guy, I get people who come to me and they say, "Is this the worst you've ever heard? Is this, you know, is this scandal yeah. the worst? Is this dirty hit the worst?" And almost always, I can say to them, "Like, kid, you don't even know what it was like back yeah. in the day. I mean, you think this is bad? Let me tell you a story about Harold Ballard. Let me tell you a story about the." For this one, I'm honestly not sure I can ever think of somebody in a high-up position in hockey saying something this disastrously stupid, not as a slip of the tongue or not as saying something they weren't supposed to say, and not as something being caught off guard, but actually having time to prepare, having time to think through how they would answer it, and and just blowing it that badly. I'm not sure I can ever remember it. And, you know... that. The last point maybe that that I'll make on this, and this is clearly, this isn't the most important piece of this, but the fact that he says in that clip, you know, uh, in a few ways, we're moving on from 2010. We're moving on. (laughs) It's the Chicago Blackhawks. Have they moved on from 2010, the year they won their first championship? They are still to this day. They just announced their GM search. There's three people on the committee. Two of them are members of that 2010 team. Yeah. who have, frankly, no qualifications to pick the next GM other than they were on that 2010 team. The, the Blackhawks are constantly talking about 2010, uh, as as probably any team would that ended a, you know, a, a five-decade uh, Stanley Cup drought. They're constantly talking about this team. They never shut up about it. For him to sit up there now and say, we're moving on from 2010. No, you're moving on from Kyle Beach. You're moving on from the scandal that happened. You want to keep everything else. And just 
throw that under the carpet and stop talking about it. And that's what the whole scandal was in the first place. That that was the initial reaction is let's not talk about this. Let's get it out of here. Let's do whatever we need to do to make it go away. And the exact same line of thinking here over a decade later, the exact same attitude towards it apparently still is sitting at the very, very top of the organization. And I I have no idea how you fix that. Yeah. And, you know, you you bring up the point, is this the worst thing ever uttered by an executive in hockey? It, it I'm having a hard time, too. I think just like you, I'm, you know, you and I are the same age. We kind of go back in terms of hockey history and we have a pretty good understanding of it. I'm having a hard time thinking of, of a moment. Uh, the one that comes out to me that's not from hockey that that I think of, you know, the worst incident, in my opinion, of a of an executive in sports saying something this misguided was in the in the in the late 80s on ABC's Nightline, LA Dodgers executive Al Campanis, do you remember this? He went on Nightline and he Mm -hmm. basically said, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but that uh, black baseball players lack the necessities to be a general manager or a manager. He's like, you know, they're wonderful people, but, and people could have believed you said this in a public in a public realm, I can't believe what you're saying behind closed doors. And I'm not saying that what mm-hmm. Rocky Wirtz said was, you know, necessarily as, as as inflammatory as that. But it's certainly it's on the short list of things that I can't believe you would have said by a sports executive on the record. This wasn't uh, off the record. This was on the record. Yeah. The, the the other comparison that I've seen floated around, and again, it's it's a different circumstance and situation, but is the Donald Sterling uh, situation with the Clippers in the NBA? Yeah. Where and and that was one where, you know, obviously a totally different kind of wrong, um, but it, also a situation where he was, if I remember right, recorded, he, he didn't even, you know, certainly wasn't for public consumption, which no. didn't, didn't make it any better. But, um, you know, I, I mean, he certainly wasn't called to a town hall meeting and asked a question that he knew was coming. And not only, you know... Have have a terrible answer, but jump in over the people who were asked the question. I mean, I feel right. bad for Danny Wirtz and the other two people who were sitting on that stage because you know what do you do? Do you jump in over top of the owner and say you know we're not going to deal with this? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna answer the question that you just said you don't want answered. Um, it it really is just stunningly terrible. And and uh, you know again last night on Twitter I said. Gary Bettman has to get involved here. Gary Bettman needs to be on the phone right now. And, you know, I know a lot of people kind of roll their eyes like, well, what's Gary Bettman going to do? What credibility does he have? And yeah, sure, I get that. But he's still the commissioner of the league. He's still nominally the, the leader here. You know, when the, the Donald Sterling stuff happened, the NBA took action reasonably quickly. And then I'm not saying it's it has to rise to that same level. But if if Gary Bettman hasn't already been on the phone with Rocky Ward saying you screwed up in a huge way that was completely unacceptable. And, you know, you're not going to say another word without us being involved and, and trying to fix this. Um, then I, uh, you know, that would be a, an incredible abdication of responsibility on Gary Bettman's part. Um, so I, I hope those conversations are frantically happening in the background. And I hope it's being impressed on Rocky Wirtz that this is uh, this is a crisis level event that you have constructed um, almost entirely on your own, where there there didn't have to be one um, of in in this way at this time based on on this issue. Okay, so you uh, you mentioned look, Gary Bettman needs to be on the phone, needs to get ahead of this. It just happens to be All Star Weekend, and usually 
the commissioner of the National Hockey League gives a sort of state of the union address and we can guarantee that this will be a talking point, right? Like there's no question mm -hmm. that this uh, topic will be raised with Gary Bevin. So this is Thursday leading into the All-Star break. Let's play a little Bettman bingo, shall we? You tell me, like, tell me, what are some of the phrases you expect and fans should expect to hear out of Gary Bettman's mouth when it comes to this? Because I'm starting to think that, you know what, um, he, he'll maybe it'll be a phrase such as internal review in like, you know, we're going to launch our own investigation or we've been in communication with the Blackhawks or I, I don't know what is going to land, but I, there's going to be some quotes here coming up. That yeah. I, I just want to I want to get your you know Gary you and I we both know Gary Bettman as well as as anybody from a uh, league perspective and know some of the tone and some of the the comments and the quotes. So let's talk this out. What are we expecting out of Gary yeah, Bettman I this mean, weekend? There's there's only two responses. There's you either get, uh, you know, angry Gary Bettman who is is actually ticked off and and comes out and says that Rocky Ward screwed up, or you get. The Gary Bettman we expect we're going to get, which is the Gary Bettman we almost always get with any of these issues, whether it's, you know, the, the Kyle Beach issue or concussions or, you know, lockouts or anything else. The kind of condescending, I'm going to hit on a few PR buzzwords. Uh, I'm going to, you know, say a few things that will look reassuring in print, but you can tell that my heart's not in it. And it's, you know, the, the lawyer in him kind of comes out uh, and makes sure that he doesn't say anything um that's actually meaningful but he but it sounds good and uh, yeah i suspect that's what we'll get you know he'll talk about how they've the league has done this and the hawks have done that and you know, those efforts are continuing and they have had discussions with rocky Wirtz, and you know that these comments came across poorly and were misconstrued and etc cetera, etc cetera. um that's what i expect maybe he'll surprise me and we'll get an actual honest uh gary bettman answer but i don't uh Let's let's just say that twenty five plus years, my hopes are not high. Yeah, and I I know what you said earlier in the podcast that you if 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 we were looking at this all things being equal, this would be a quote unquote fireable offense. Like I get that. I think if it was a general manager or it was a, a team executive, I think it's a lot easier to sort of levy that type of punishment and say it's never going to happen again. When it's an owner, it certainly muddies the waters and complicates it. But Gary Bettman's got an opportunity here to make a make a statement. And say, you know what? The way that that Rocky Words handled himself on Wednesday night is unacceptable. And and if if Gary uses that word, I'll appreciate it. Uh, if he says unacceptable behavior, unacceptable answer. But if there's anything short of that, it's going to be a really disappointing response from the commissioner. Yeah. And we'll we'll see it, but, though. Like I, I but again, it's like it's it's disappointing because what will be disappointing is that Rocky Words said out loud what he clearly. <laughs> Yeah. honestly feels, uh, you know, internally and probably in the internal conversations they have in that organization, which is, this is nonsense. We don't, we shouldn't have to deal with it, get it out of the way and move on. And we don't talk about it anymore. So, um, you know, yes, the comments were unacceptable, but it's not, you know, I guess maybe that's what I'd be looking for. It's not that the comments were unacceptable because he said the quiet part out loud. It's the entire tone and attitude and way of thinking is unacceptable. And that's why, um, there needs to be some sort of change. But again, I, I don't know what that looks like because as many people have pointed out, Rocky Wirtz in some sense is Gary Bettman's boss. So, you know, is Gary Bettman just going to be uh, another guy sitting on the stage listening to Rocky Wirtz rant and not having the guts to to step up and say that's that's unacceptable? 
I guess we'll find out. Yeah. And I think, you know what, one thing I've learned over the years is as much as, you know, and Laz wrote a terrific column today and a lot Mm -hmm. of people in the hockey world shared that video and everybody had a sort of collective outrage. We've just spent, you know, whatever, 17 minutes here talking about how disappointing this was. That's not going to move the needle. You know, what's going to move the needle. The sponsors of the Chicago Blackhawks saying yep. we're gonna we're gonna pull our sponsorship. Season ticket holders and suite holders saying, you know what, this is unacceptable. You want to hurt a billionaire, hurt them in their wallet. That's the only way they mm-hmm. listen, right? They don't they don't listen to our social media and social justice rants and talks about being more open minded. That that doesn't matter to them. But what matters to them is their bottom line. I think if you're the Chicago Blackhawks and all of a sudden you get a whole bunch of phone calls today from season ticket holders saying. I'm out or sponsors saying, let's revisit our deal. I think you're going to have pause for a little yep. bit of a, more of a conversation here, right? That's what it'll do is it's the sponsors. It's, and maybe even yeah. more than Gary Bettman is if, you know, the, the head of whatever major partner calls up Rocky words and says that was complete garbage and we're reconsidering our, our deal. Um, yeah, that would do it. Is that actually going to happen? <laughs> you know, I don't know. It, it's, it's, this this whole story from the day it broke has been horrifying for obvious reasons, but also in a way exhausting because you just, as you're watching it unfold, you wish you could summon some sort of belief that, that there's going to be some decency at some point and it just never seems to happen. And then you get, you know, the statements and they did, you know, they, they move on from Stan Bowman and Joel Quenville uh, gets let go and you think maybe... Maybe am I being a cynic here or is there is there possibility that there's actual real change? And then you see something like this and it just makes you feel like a fool. It just makes you feel like I can't believe yeah. that I believe that any of these guys were doing anything other than performing PR. Um, and maybe that's not fair because I'm sure there are people in the Hawks organization who really did take this seriously and really did want to see change. Maybe Danny Wirtz is one of them. Um, but it, it just this seeing that from the very top just makes you think. This whole thing was just an exercise in make the problem go away, crisis PR, um, and that's all they ever viewed it as. And, it, you know, maybe that is cynical, um, but it's it's not more cynical than the garbage we saw last night. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, uh, Sean, speaking of Gary Bettman and likely being available at the All-Star Game, that is where the focus of the hockey world will be this weekend, is in Vegas. The All-Star Game is coming up, and we'll get to your your hot take about how the All-Star Game is unwatchable in a second. But I want to ask you about this new element they're adding this year. Because the game is in Vegas, it's essentially a blackjack uh, shooting target game where the players will shoot at an oversized 
a deck of cards and see if they can, you know, hit 21. And I wonder, is that something that intrigues you at all? That, ah, you know what? They're leaning into Vegas. They're leading, leaning in the gambling. It's something fun. Let's see where this goes. Yeah, I, I think it's a neat idea. Um, I, I'm not... I'm not going to go out of my way to to watch it, but I, I I'm like I think probably a lot of fans at this point. I, I the skills competition is more interesting to me than the the games itself, uh, and part of that is because they mix in some new things. And they, I'll give them credit for trying something new. Will it work or not? I don't know. Last year or, or last time um, around, they had the whole like long distance shooting uh, off the thing. platform, right? Yeah, which yeah. I don't think actually really worked. Like it didn't. It didn't. You know, it, it felt like maybe a little bit too complicated, a bit of a mess. I, I don't remember any real memorable moments coming out of it other than Brett Hull showing up, but they tried. <laughs> you got to try things, right? I mean, you, you try things. Some some things work and some don't. They're going to try this. Um, yeah, sure. I'll give full credit to them for uh, getting creative and tying it into the, uh, the location. Um, let's see how it works. Okay. Now, is there an argument, and whether or not this blackjack game works or what have you, is there an argument that the All-Star Game should permanently be held in Vegas. And I say that because if you look at in the past, the Pro Bowl in the NFL was always in, in Hawaii. They moved it since. But, you know, for the longest time, it was there. Uh, does Vegas potentially uh, serve a nice backdrop that, you know, allows for this type of thing, that maybe it is a, a more attractive destination for NHL players to come in at the end of January if you know that the All-Star Game is in Vegas, you're like, ah, you know what? I'd rather go to Vegas for three days and have some drinks, let myself loose, rather than, hey, guess what? The All-Star Game's in Ottawa or Buffalo yeah. or Columbus. Like, is there an yeah. argument to be made that maybe they should move it to Vegas permanently? I mean, from, from the media guys, there probably is. As somebody who has covered uh, one All-Star Game, and I got to go to Columbus uh, <laughs> in February, um, but that said, no. And no, and here's the the reason why is um, the the all star all star weekend. It it sucks. I mean, the the game is terrible. They have tried mixing it up and everything, but it's it's not good. It's not a good showcase for the game. The skills competition tends to be, you know, it, it kind of cool in concept, and you get a few highlights out of it. But as far as watch sitting down for three hours and watching it, it it's often awkward more than entertaining. Um, but the, the two things I always, well, the, the three things I always hear are, look, here are the three people that all-star weekend is for. It's number one, it's the corporate sponsors. Obviously you, you get to shake a few hands and, you know, people in suits get to walk around and meet players and take photos and that kind of thing. Fine. Uh, number two is little kids. And yeah, absolutely. That's, it, it is fun for little kids to see, you know, see these stars and, and that sort of thing. It's fun for them. Great. And then the third group is the local fans in the area that is hosting the game because they get to see some things and it, you know i had a little bit of fun with columbus but it was cool to be in columbus and you know meet some of those fans and they had like the big snow slide outside and you know all these other things they were doing it's an opportunity for them too and i wouldn't want to see that taken away um and uh, you know even if it is the sort of thing where you know it, it might be once in your your lifetime or once or twice that your city gets to host the all-star game it's still pretty cool. It's a highlight for the fans and the kids and all that stuff. And I, I wouldn't want to just see one market get it over and over again. Um, it's it, you know I'm I, I I think having the awards in Vegas all the time that's cool. That that's that's a uh, you know that works. 
But the All-Star game, no. The All-Star game should still move around because, you know, frankly, those are the only fans who are really going to care about it are the ones who get it in their backyard. So uh, let's make sure that backyard moves around. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, too. I was like, you know, if I think, look, when I was a kid, just like you just said, look, a lot of times the the All-Star games were kids. And when we were kids, it was great. Like, I think of, uh, you know, uh, Mario had a six point game in an all, that was probably the first all-star game. I feel like I truly remembered, um, mm-hmm. Owen Nolan had the point on Dominic Hasek. Like there, there were some great moments. And then I was thinking like, for me, it feels like all of the great moments came before the year 2000. Like in the last 20 years, I was thinking, obviously John Scott seems to come to mind yeah. as this like great moment, but here's what I want to ask you. Okay. Cause I was looking this up. So you remember Patrick Kane putting on the Superman cape, right? And and mm-hmm. do you remember what other prop he had while he scored with the Superman cape? No, I don't. Okay, so I'm glad you don't because I'm glad I'm not the only one. Did you know that when Patrick Kane scored that uh, breakaway challenge goal wearing the Superman cape, he also put on a pair of Clark Kent glasses? Okay. Do you remember this? Yeah, I do remember. I don't, I don't okay. remember this until I do remember him putting on like yeah. the big and uh, they almost look like Hanson glasses. Yeah, exactly. But, but yeah, to be Clark Kent. Do you? I, I I didn't remember that. <laughs> yeah, there. You know, it, the the breakaway competition stuff. It's it's fine. It's and it, it has created some neat moments. I mean, the you know the the Jagger hair coming out, or you know Brent Birds doing the Chewbacca thing, and and a few others. Um. It 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 always feels like it kind of pales like in comparison because it's it's a direct ripoff of the NBA slam dunk contest and you know as with many things in the NBA their stuff always seems so much cooler than ours but um, again it's uh, I, I give credit especially to the players who do it because it's that's very much not a hockey player thing to do is to say like I'm going to try to be funny and I'm going to do this in front of twenty thousand fans and it might work and it might not um, it's uh, you know. I'll I'll give him the credit for it, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it, you're right. All certainly for all star games, I, I think all the memories are you know going back in that era. I was surprised when you said you know twenty years. I was like, well, oh Nolan, but no, that was ninety uh, seven. You know, that was maybe? back in the nineties. Yeah. So yeah, other than John Scott, which you know that was what it was. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I have no recollection of most of the most of the all star games. And I'll tell you why it's, it's a very, it's, it's a very easy and obvious um, answer why we don't remember. Like you talked about the, the Mario Lemieux uh, game, like when he was in Pittsburgh and he had the, the all-star game was in Pittsburgh. Yeah. One of my memories of, of that, and I still remember it to this day is there was a play where Mario Lemieux is coming in. He's got the puck. He's going towards the net and the defenseman comes across and basically slides across to try to block him. And Mario pulls the puck back and toe drags right around him, snipes a goal, leaves the defenseman just, you know, sliding off. The defenseman was Ally Afraidy, one of my personal favorites. Uh, and it's, it's a great moment. It's such a fantastic moment. To this day, 30 years later, I remember that. But here's the thing. You know why I remember that? You know, it's, it's not because Mario was so great, made such a great play, although he did. It's because of that defenseman sliding across who is actually trying to stop Mario Lemieux. Yeah. And the fact that then when Mario then toe drags around him, it looks great. It's a great moment because, you know, that guy was actually trying. And that's the part that's missing is at some point, 
NHL players just decided that it was above them to put any effort uh, into into trying in an all-star game. And I'm not talking about throwing body checks or fights or blocking slap shots. Um, taking slap shots might be nice. Um, you know, doing something other than just like, if, if that moment happened in today, Meryl Lemieux would come in and a defenseman would just kind of be around him and would sort of half-heartedly wave his stick at him. He wouldn't have to move at all. He would take the shot. The goalie would kind of, you know, barely move his arm. It would go in and you would forget it instantly. You would never think of that play again. And that's most of the, most of what we see. There's just absolutely no effort from these guys. And when hockey is one of those sports where if, if the effort isn't there, the intensity isn't there, um, it's, it's pretty unwatchable. And there's, you know, I have no interest in watching guys score goals when nobody is trying to stop them. Um, there, there has to be that effort on the defensive side, which then creates the great moments offensively because they've actually done something, uh, and they've actually worked harder than they would during the pregame warmup. You know, you mentioned Mario and that goal at the all-star game in Pittsburgh. I all of a sudden had two thoughts came to mind from that game and that goal. Okay. The first is, I think that was a Sunday afternoon game. And I think I'm right on that. And the second thing is. I think that game was on NBC, and I think Marv Albert called the game. And I remember wow. thinking, right. I, I could be wrong. We'll have to look this up. I, I remember thinking, this is so cool. Like, Marv Albert is calling an NHL game with Mario Lemieux, and it's on NBC, and it was in the afternoon. And it anyway, I all of a sudden had those uh, those thoughts. And then now we're going to get a bunch of listeners uh, writing in and tweeting, saying, that, that never happened. That game was was just on... CBC or whatever, but I feel like yeah. that game was on NBC with Marv Albert doing. I'm, I'm uh, looking this up like call. as we speak now, just so we can. Uh, the, okay, 1990. It was in the uh, uh, Civic Arena in Pittsburgh. Yeah, and let me just. <laughs> I, this allowed it was uh, it was played on a Sunday afternoon yeah. instead of a Tuesday night. Right. Apparently, we used first- to do the All Star Game on Tuesday night. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this allowed American broadcaster NBC to air yep. the game live across the United States, marking the first time that a national audience would see this. Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux play. Wow. So I was right. Okay. There you I, go. I haven't I seen any. To, uh, I don't know if it was Marv but I'm going to assume I, you're probably I, right. Well, listen, if I had that part of it right, how could I have not? Right? I feel like I got the Marv Albert part. Yep. Right. That's uh, that's pretty good. And, you know, look, again, like the score in that game was 12 to 7. So I, <laughs> this isn't me pining for the days of, you know, 3-2, where I think it was Wait. Dave Stubbs had a thing where he was like, you know, the the all-star game shutout. Uh, the, the, you know, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that make some effort. I get, you know, I, I, and, and the other piece of this is I get it. Like, the players treat this like a vacation, and they probably should. They need a vacation. This, is, this sport is brutal. The season is such a grind. Uh, I get that these guys are all exhausted. Half of them are hurt. Um, you know, they, they, they don't want to be there. They would rather be on a beach somewhere, but you know, like I'm not expecting anyone to go out there and just really, um, bust their behind, but give me something other, you know, like just make somebody skate around you. Uh, and then, and, and then when you do get the open net, just shoot, don't do this thing where we're all passing to each other. Cause now nobody even wants to be the one to score. Cause it's been so easy. Um, you know, or don't do that and just accept that you're not going to create any memories for anyone other than the seven-year-olds that are right. happen to be at the game. Hold up. I just, I got a new theory to float by you. Okay. okay. Based on uh, you said 
you know, this was the first time that the All-Star game got moved to the weekend. It was played on a Tuesday night. What if that is the problem? Maybe the All-Star game meant something because it was in the middle of the week and players were engineered in their minds to, to give an effort. You put it on a weekend, you put it on a Sunday afternoon, it becomes a little bit more of a game of shinny, a little more loosey-goosey. What if we moved it back to a Tuesday night? Are we going to get a... Uh, like, I, I wonder if you go back and look at all of the All-Star games before, was that the one in 1990, the one that kicked off the crazy scoring? Yeah, uh, it's it, it may have been. Um, let me, There's let my me new just, theory. Let okay? me just ask you this. Let me, well, uh, let me <laughs> what, ask you what, this. What, okay. What What is the only sport that has a half-decent All-Star game? Well, we always talk about the uh, Major League Baseball. Right? Major League Baseball. When does Major League, what time on a weekend afternoon does Major League Baseball play their All-Star game? Oh, right. They don't. Exactly. They it's have the, the, it's the Monday, the Tuesday. It's Here Monday, the home run hating contest, and Tuesday is Tuesday, Tuesday night. Let's get back to Tuesday night All-Star it's games. It'll be 5-3. 5-3 final score. This is, we've, yeah. we've figured it out. Good. I'm, okay. I'm looking at it the, the year before. There had been some high-scoring All-Star games. But uh, I think it was nine to five the year before. But this was the first year that anyone hit double digits. So there we you know, go. It's... And then it was the horse was out of the barn at that point. Yeah, at that point there was nothing you could do, and <laughs> yeah. it was. There we go. Uh, Let's bl- we blame NBC and uh, 1990. That's that was the turning point. Yeah. Um, there we go. Hey, I uh, want to ask you about this real quick. Um, as well, look, Alex Ovechkin will not be at the All-Star game. He's in COVID protocol. That's too bad. He's having a wonderful heart trophy uh, caliber type of season. Mm-hmm. Uh, top five of the league in scoring. Um, top five in goals, all that stuff. I want to ask you this because the, the All-Star break is a natural time for us to kind of look at some of the trends. And, and it's like the, the unofficial halfway point of the season. I don't know that a lot of people realize Jonathan Huberto is leading the league in scoring, but he is. I don't know if a lot of people realize Nassim Kadri is only four points behind him. If one of those guys wins the Art Ross Trophy, Huberdo Kadri, does it bump Jamie Ben off of the list <laughs> as the most rando guy to win an Art Ross? I'm not sure that it would. Um, you know what, Kadri, Kadri probably does. Uh, Huberdo, I, I think, is is... You know, we're seeing the breakout of a, a pretty elite offensive guy. I, I that might fit more in. Like, remember when Martin Saint Louis won it, and you were sort of like, "Oh, okay, that's not a guy I would think." But you look back and you go, "Yeah, I mean, the fact that he won another one later helped." But you look back and you're like, "That was a worthy winner." And I feel like that's more uh, where where Huberto would wind up. Kadri maybe because he's just having a, a career year and a contract year for the ages. But do you remember with Jamie Ben? The other thing about that was like. He didn't he have like four or five points in the final game? Yeah. Like to kind of come out of nowhere. I think it was Tavares actually was going to win uh, the the scoring title. And then, you know, Ben just went crazy in the last game. I think he scored with a couple minutes left to to take the lead. Um, but yeah, and and still had finished with what, like 87 points, something like that. Uh yeah, won the art Ross with 87 points. I'm yeah. Sure, but I'm glad the I'm glad the dead puck error is over, as people keep telling me. That's that's great. Yeah. See, if you figured you'd say 87 wins the Art Ross trophy, you'd think it's Sid. But yeah, it's not. you would think Sid. It's, no, uh, it was Jamie Benn. It's and, Jamie Benn and, with 87. And, you know, and Connor McDavid last year in a half season wins it with more points. So that's, uh, yeah, good times. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Hey, I got to ask you about your column that dropped on on Thursday uh, on The Athletic, which was, a definitive ranking, and this, you know, kind of coming in light of, uh, you know, we saw Henrik Lundqvist's jersey get retired uh, recently, Ooh. and uh, it was certainly Zubov, Zubov, right, yeah. in, in Dallas. And so you said, you know what, let, let's look at all 32 teams and kind of power rank them based on the jerseys they have retired. And not surprised, look, Seattle's at number 32, like, because they only have number 32 retired, which opens up a great debate about whether these, what we think about that. 32 being retired for Seattle. There's no, or n- there's number no one, debate. Or number no one de- being retired for the Minnesota Wild. There's no the debate for that. That's not, no, there's no debate. That's, it's stupid. Don't retire numbers for your, every team has fans. You don't retire numbers for your fans. End of debate. That's it. That's so, it. Yeah, That's Seattle and Minnesota, uh, both, spoiler alert, rank very, very poorly in my, uh, in my rankings as they deserve to. It's, it's ridiculous. Don't do that. So you're you're early on, I'm sure, in your your feedback that you get, and and these types of uh, columns often elicit a lot of uh, feedback from people, right? Retired jerseys, for whatever reason, end mm-hmm. up being a very uh, it, it can lead to quite a debate, right? Like some people say that guy shouldn't have his jersey retired, or why does he have his jersey retired, or whatever. So it's early in the process here, but or at least take our listeners through the 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 the, the process of putting this together. And some of the the teams that you had a hard time maybe finding a spot for them. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, as as far as feedback, um, it's it's seems to be unanimous that I got the list exactly right. There's definitely yeah. nobody who's who's mad no. at me here. <laughs> the idea here, just just so people understand, if they haven't seen uh, the column, was that I, I'm going to take a look at every team's numbers and I'm going to basically pass judgment. Did they get? Did they have it right? Do they have too many guys? Do they have not enough? Do they have some, you know, weird rules or distinctions? Uh, you know, it's not just a list of, okay, who who has the best collection? Because that would just be all the original six teams. It'd be Montreal, one, probably Toronto, and then, you know, Detroit or whatever, and, and down the list. I wanted to actually sit there and 
and basically pass judgment. And um, that's been a lot of fun because, you know, as, as you can imagine, um, anytime you do any kind of ranking, most of a fan base wants their team to be high. If you're saying like, who's got the best prospects, who's got this or that, um, they, they want to see their team up nice and high. But when it comes to their retired numbers, uh, a lot of fans have very strong feelings uh, about, uh, uh, you know, how their team has done and what their list is. And a lot of those feelings are that my team has done this exactly right uh, and my team should be number one. So, yeah, the, the feedback has been uh, diverse and passionate, let's just say. Uh, but that's made it fun. The one that the, the one that really surprised me when I went through your list to see Nashville at number four, I was like, what, like, how? How is the how are the Nashville Predators power rank number four in terms of Jersey retirements? Yeah, well, uh, I'll answer your question. The Nashville yeah. Predators have been around for twenty plus years. They have uh, one retired number. In fact, they have none right now. But they're going to retire Pekka Rene's number later. How many players in Nashville Predators history that are retired? So not Shea Weber, but that are retired deserve to have their jersey retired. One, it's Pecorine. He's the only guy. So they've retired 100% and only 100% of all the, the worthy guys. It's not that hard. And I know you look at it and you go, well, you know, what were they going to do? A retired David Legwan's number? Yeah, actually, I wouldn't be surprised if they thought about it because elsewhere on the list, higher up, you see all sorts of teams where early on in their history, five years in, maybe 10 years in, they don't really have any worthy players yet, but they go, oh, we, we got to do this. And they put somebody up there. You know, Al Hamilton in Edmonton is a great example. The Edmonton Oilers have got, I think, eight numbers. It's seven Hall of Famers from the dynasty. And then a guy named Al Hamilton, who was a decent WHA defenseman. But at some point, they decided we need to get a number up there. And he was the guy they picked. You know, Yvonne LeBray from Washington is another classic example. Solid enough player. Um but that's about it. And yet the Capitals, six or seven years into their history, decide we need to retire a number and they put them up there. Lots of teams have done that. And they end up with guys that are you're looking up there going, why is that guy's name there? Nashville hasn't done that. Nashville waited until they had a worthy guy. Another team that I ranked high is San Jose, who are the only team that has nobody at all on their list. No retired numbers, no honored numbers, no nothing, nothing planned, nothing announced. They just have absolutely nobody. They don't show up on the list at all anywhere. Um, that's great because I think you could look at, at San Jose history and say they don't have anyone uh, in previous years who'd be worthy of it. Now, obviously, Patrick Marlowe's going to, uh, I would assume, at some point very soon. I don't think he's officially announced his retirement, maybe. Um, but he'll he'll be first. Joel Thornton, Joe Pavelski will both get the honor. And when those happen, it's going to be it's going to be so much more meaningful than it would if their number was going up next to like Jeff Friesen or something, because somebody decided we need to sell tickets on a Tuesday night against Columbus. So we're going to do this ceremony. It's there's nothing wrong with making it special. Nothing wrong with waiting until you get the the right the name comes along. Nashville did that. San Jose did that. A lot of other teams haven't done that. So I reflected that in my list. And uh, like you said, San Jose ends up number nine on your list, even though they haven't retired any jerseys, the New York Islanders, yep. of course, have uh, retired a handful of numbers. Uh, they are number eight on your list. And actually, we've got a voicemail here that I want to play, Sean, from an Islanders fan. And uh, okay. yeah, this, this this one comes in from Pat from Long Island. And uh, Pat uh, kind of have a, has a question for us about his beloved New York Islanders. Uh, I'm just calling in to see 
Uh, if you guys can, you know, break apart what the Islanders can do to get over this hump. Uh, I've been an Islanders fan for 30 years, and most of that time it's been pretty, um, let's just say, not fun. The last couple of years was a glimpse of hope, and I feel like, you know, they're still a good team. They got a lot of good pieces, but their core is getting old. Uh, their goaltending is great, but Varlamov is probably going to be hot on the market. So if they were to trade him, you know, what are some pieces they could get back, being that they can't really do any sort of rebuild, I don't think, um, because they still have some pieces that could really get them far. But um, what can we do to help bring a cup to Long Island? It's been a long time. Thanks again. All right. Uh, listen, uh, thanks for that uh, that voicemail, Pat. We want to remind our listeners that you can do exactly what Pat did, which is drop us a voicemail. We love to hear your voice. Uh, the phone number to hit us up, it's 845-445-8459, 845-445-8459. So, look, you can hear a little bit of frustration in Pat's voice, uh, Sean. The Islanders were a team that went to back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals, got to within a goal of going to the Stanley Cup last year. And now they they just appear to be uh, kind of a rudderless ship this season. Doesn't look like they're going to make the playoffs. So Pat's basically saying, like, where do we go from here? Like, what do we do to to kind of improve our situation here? And what I'm I'm curious, what would you do if you were Lou Lamorello, the New York Islanders? Yeah, I it's I don't know is my short answer because I di- I didn't see this season coming at all. And and any Islander fans out there who followed me over the years know that I I would. I was wrong about them uh, when Tavares left, and we I, I think we all were. We were all expecting them to be the worst team in the league that year. They made the playoffs. I was wrong about whether they could do it again. I've pretty much been wrong about them for the last few years, including this year, where I said, okay, fi- I have to finally acknowledge that the Islanders are going to be a good team, um, and and they clearly haven't been. And I don't know what to do now, because I'm looking at their their roster, their cap. It's, a, it's an older roster. A lot of guys tied up long term on not monster contracts, but but pretty big contracts. It would be tough to move. A lot of guys either on the wrong side of thirty or or getting real close to it. Uh, I don't know how you you fix this quickly. And and uh, you know, I, I guess my advice would be first of all, number one, I'll tell you what I would not do, which is I would not make a coaching change. I think Barry Trotz is quite possibly the very best coach in the league, and I I don't. I don't even consider moving on from him uh, despite this this mess of a season. And, and you know, I say that, I feel like with a lot of teams, I'd just be stating the obvious, but this is Lou Lamarillo, right? I mean, he, he's weird when it comes to coaches. We've seen him yeah. do some really strange stuff as far as um, making coaching changes uh, during seasons, after seasons, all over the map. So um, I don't go anywhere near that. Uh, I, I, I keep Barry Trotz in place. And then... And man, I wouldn't say this for a lot of teams, you know, almost always when you have a team that's a little bit older and you see them, you see that 18 wheeler kind of go off the cliff, like it's not coming back up. So you got to get to work fixing it. There's a part of me that just when I look at how this roster is constructed and how it's, how difficult it would be to start a rebuild, there's a part of me that says, maybe we just kind of burn the tapes of this year and we go into next year and we just hope that this is one of those fluke years where everything went wrong. Clearly you make some changes you have to, um, and, and they're going to, you know, they they got a lot of space coming up on the blue line that they've got to figure out what to do with. But, um, 
maybe you just run it back and you say, you know what, maybe the last three years were the real Islanders and this year just wasn't and we don't overreact to it. Not because I think that's likely going to be the right answer, but because I just, I kind of need it to be. Because if the answer is, no, this team's hit the wall, uh, I'm looking at, you know, all of these guys making five, six million on contracts that run three, four more years that are already in their 30s. I I mean, how do you rebuild this? Who, who's who's trading for Jean-Gabriel Pajot right now? Who's out there saying, I want Kyle Palmieri or I want Brock Nelson? Uh you know, all of those guys being signed through 2025 or longer. I don't think there's, I don't think there's anyone. I mean, the, the, the one move maybe you can make is Varlamov because, yeah. the, you know, that's the case where you've got, you know, you got Sorokin as your, your guy of the future and the future is kind of now and, and Varlamov's got two years left. Maybe you can move him either this year or certainly in the off season to some team where it's not a big commitment anymore and get something. Other than that, man, I, I just don't see, anything here that's going to be a super attractive piece as far as a rebuild. Uh, so I, I don't know that you've got much choice other than you just say, we're going to, we're going to run it back and try again and and hope that this year holds up as a fluke. Yeah. And you look, you got Barry Trotz who for the most part is such a, a, a good coach to kind of create structure that you could, you could probably pass this off as an aberration, but you know, I came into this year with a little bit of some lowered expectations from the Islanders, but mostly because I thought, you know, Sean, wow, they're starting on, they're playing 13 games on the road to start the season. I'm like, I don't, yep. I don't like the tone here. I don't like how this is going to go. And now we've reached this point. They've actually played more home games than road games, and they're still kind of just, you know, too far out of the, the, the playoff mix. The one thing I think of, if you are Lou Lamorello, and you said Lou Lamorello likes to do some weird things with his coaches, you want to talk about something weird? You know what would be unbelievable? If you could trade Barry Trotz, if you were Lou Lamorello and you thought, you know what, I do yep. need to change it up. Like Barry Trotz is worth at least a first round pick, isn't he? Like some... I don't think you can trade coaches. Anymore. No, I know I, I you can't anymore. Though, for, can you? You can't. I don't think you I don't can. Think no, so. I don't think you can. I, I, but I, wouldn't that I, I be the thing like, to do? Yep. <laughs> that would could, be. If you're that Lou. would be. But, and if you could find now, one, I'm looking check, at now. I'm looking down the, the list to see who is going to be the team. The loophole, like Lou Lamorello, would be the one guy to find the loophole. Where he would like release Barry Trotz from his contract and get some sort of compensation from another team, you know he would. Find I mean, you a know way who it is. It. You know, you know what team you got to make that that move to. I think it's Florida Panthers, right? Ooh. I mean, well, yeah, not I mean, that you know Andrew Burnett Burnett. had done a good job, but it. I mean, that was that was a team they they didn't expect to move on from Quenville under those circumstances. You know, that maybe they just kind of grab. That's. I think that's the team that you go and get, unless you're Washington, you want to go and, and run that back. But I don't think uh, I don't think that's happening, and I don't think Barry Trotz can fix that goaltending. Although, who knows? Maybe he can. But yeah, I think that's the team we got to work that out. You know, there was the um, the one instance where back in the '80s, the <laughs> New York Rangers traded for Michelle Bergeron mm-hmm. to be their coach. So it has happened, but I think they basically Once, and I think they closed it at that point. They, yeah, I think shortly thereafter they closed it. And and the reason why is remember when Vancouver and New York essentially swapped coaches, right? Was it Alan Vigneault yes. and was it Tortorella? Tortorella. Yeah, yeah Tortorella. Tortorella. And and at the end of it, people were like, Well, why didn't they just trade coaches? And it turns yeah. out you couldn't. But hey, if you if you wanted to do something super outside of the box, just to get back to that question from Pat, you know that Lou Lamorello would probably think of something and really outside of the box. But we I know. With you. From previous experience that the league has its rules, but the rules don't always apply to Lou Lamorello. 
Exactly. So, I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's a rule that you have to announce your transactions unless you're Lou and then you don't yeah. have to, you know, there, there was the whole thing with the devils and Kovalchuk where he was like, yeah, you know, I'm not giving you my first round pick. And they're like, okay, Lou, well, sorry to bother you. And we'll just change, change the rules for you. So maybe that's it. I, I, I mean, I'm hesitant to say it because now I'm getting, I'm back in Florida Panthers territory. And every time we do that, something, uh, something bizarre happens and, uh, Involving so, the Panthers. I don't know. We'll run it by Walter Cronkite and see what he see what he thinks. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, let's wrap up the show as we always do. By the way, uh, no Jesse Granger this week for Granger things. There's, obviously, we're heading. Actually, I just realized this. the The All Star game is going to Vegas, and Je- Jesse's probably in one right now. He's the whole hockey world is coming to Vegas. This guy doesn't have time. For he's setting up those. Uh, he's setting up the skills competition. The, he's the, putting those cards in. He's shuffling the giant deck of cards, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder what, like, anyway, that, I'm, I am interested to see how that plays itself out. Like one, like, you know, some player's going to be at 16. He's like, what do I do? Do I hit? Do I not? Right? Like, anyway, it's, yep. uh, it's going to be interesting. So anyway, no, <laughs> I just hope, I hope they have them all like in a little half circle and like one guy takes a <laughs> shot that he shouldn't. They all just react like, oh, you took it, my card. That's yeah, you idiot. Exactly. And they blame it on him. That's. <laughs> That'd be the true Vegas blackjack experience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm interested to see how it plays out. But no Jesse Granger this week. We'll, we'll connect with him next week. But as we always do, we'll wrap up with a little This Week in Hockey History. And as I was looking through uh, the dates of hockey history that that are the important moments that happened this week, I was struck by one thing, Sean. February the 2nd seems to be a weird date where the stars align for kind of some, you know, unheralded players to step up and really have some big nights. Like February the 2nd, 1918, Joe Malone scored five goals in a game. And okay, listen, Joe Malone was a guy who also had seven goals in a game. So, you know, he's probably not so random, but, you know, he scores five goals in a game. But then on February 2nd, 1977, Ian Turnbull scores five goals in a game. And then on February 2nd, 2011, Johan Franzen, Scores five goals in a game. And then also on February the 2nd, a couple of years later, Sam Gagne had eight points in a game. And I, I got me thinking, mm-hmm. like, is there something to this Groundhog Day trend here that, hey, maybe maybe that's one. And it didn't happen on Wednesday night. Rocky Wirtz ended up well, being the guy that. that I mean, I mean, hold on a second. Philip Grubauer had a shutout last night, which, given yeah, how his season's been going, might be the most amazing. Uh, yeah. February 2nd performance ever. He made 19 whole saves <laughs> against those uh, Islanders we were just talking yeah. about. And uh, yeah, that that might be it. Other than that, I guess, you know, Blake Coleman had three points last night. So maybe that's the, the other yeah. piece of it. Okay. But I, I got to ask you this question because this feels like a classic down goes Brown story that maybe, maybe you need to get one of the interns that we talk about. Okay. Yep. So I'm looking at February 2nd. I'm like, man, maybe there's something to it that the stars align or whatever. Now, do you think somebody could ever look up the effect of a full moon on NHL <laughs> games? Meaning, are there more fights on a full moon? Do certain players seem to elevate on a full moon? Wouldn't you be kind of interested in that? Like, just, just to see yeah. out of curiosity? We could find out, yeah. I, I mean, if we find out that Brent Burns... Right. It goes crazy. And Joe Thornton, every time there's a full moon, we might really be onto something uh, there. This That's, is what I'm uh, saying. Like, yeah. I, well, I feel you know, like- the other thing is we'd have to check, obviously not when it comes to 
Joe Malone, but I wonder how many of those February 2nd games, like, was that like this week where it's right before the All-Star game? Is it maybe, you know, everyone's got the golf clubs packed and it's like, oh, okay, I'll let Sam Gagne score eight points or, uh, I feel like maybe not. I think the All-Star games used to be in January, so maybe it was coming off the break. But, uh, yeah, there could be, you know, full moon. We need to get an outdoor game with a full moon and really test that theory. Oh, yeah, because uh, that'd be perfect because we know that the sun is our enemy. We'll yeah, it we know what moon. a full sun does. Yeah. Done not so good, but <laughs> what about uh, the maybe full the full moon. moon. Exactly. Yeah. Bench clearing brawl. Anyway, I, I always think that would be if somebody had time on their hands, find, see if there's a correlation between like the lunar cycle and on ice events. Like, are there more fights? Are are there more goals? Are there like who knows? Maybe I, I was. This like, is this is indeed like the 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 final endpoint for the analytics movement. Yeah, is we just we combine lunar, it lunar full effects on per astrology yeah. and you know yeah exactly <laughs> Pisces was over Capricorn and that's why yeah uh, this guy had three goals exactly we'll get Dom on that all right we'll leave it there now I don't know do I say. As I say goodbye, like as we wrap up the show, do I tell you, hey, enjoy the All Star Game? Like, what do I tell enjoy, you? Enjoy, enjoy my weekend off. Yeah, and, uh, there you go. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much. I'll watch some of it, uh, but I won't like it. But if your kid likes it, tell your kid to enjoy. There you go. That's uh, that's well said. All right, we'll leave it there. And uh, for our New York Rangers fans, I don't know if you 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 know this. As we wrap up this podcast, we want to let you know that we've got a brand new New York Rangers podcast out with our friend Arthur Staple as the host. It's called The Garden Faithful. It made its debut uh, earlier this week. We want you to check it out. You can subscribe at uh, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, so Apple, Spotify, uh, what have you. So again, it's Arthur Staple's new Rangers podcast, The Garden Faithful, debuted this week. And if you're a Rangers fan, be sure to check it out. Thanks for joining us for this uh, all-star edition of the Athletic Hockey Show on a Thursday. We'll get you again next week, as always. Send us emails to the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com, the voicemail. It's 845-445-8459. If you're not a subscriber with us, you can join us. Theathletic.com slash hockey show to get an annual subscription for $3.99 a month.